Good evening. Today it's, uh, we're continuing the Talmud series. Today it's number 35. We're still in Masechet Gitin. Last week we finished with the story of Unculus, one of the most famous converts in history, the nephew of Titus that destroyed the, the second temple, the Roman cruel Titus. His nephew, after his uncle died, Titus, he started to ask questions if he should convert or not. He asked Bilam, he asked Titus, and he asked uh, JC. The first two were Goim, non-Jews. JC was still a Jew and he died a Jew. The only one who told him to convert was JC. The other ones told him, no, you want to have enjoyed this world. You want to be famous? Go against the Jews. God make you important. Well, he doesn't put the Jews in the hand of a nobody, only in, in, in the hand of somebody strong. So you want to at least enjoy this world. Anyway, you can keep the Torah, the mitzvot. You know, today I got an email from a young woman from Venezuela. She, she have in her mind that she's Jewish, like a, like a descendant of the Muranos, you know, like Spain, Portugal, all over South America. Many of them are Jews. And she started to get involved in Judaism, listening to lectures and everything. And then she said, she got to a point, she, every time she says Shema, she begins to cry and her whole soul is shaking. You know, grew up like a Goya in Venezuela, in her 20s. Bottom line, she went to Mexico to convert, but unfortunately in Mexico there's no con conversions. They don't allow anybody to convert. So now she's in Mexico, she can convert. So what, the rabbi directed her to me, that she should come to New York, that we should. If you see the email she sent, she said, if you tell me to be tomorrow in New York, tomorrow I'll be in New York. Whatever you say, I am willing to take any price, anything, just to convert. You know, to stay in New York, to pay as much money as necessary, don't worry, I'll find it, I'll manage. I, as long as you will help me to convert. I don't want to waste time and I don't want to be a Noachide to keep the seven law of Noach. It's not, not good for me. I must become a Jew. The faster, the better. You understand? Ah, you read this and... Uh, so now she's going to land here tomorrow, Bezrat Hashem. I already put her in touch with the right people. In maybe a few months she'll be Jewish. She's serious, she's not playing games. Willing to leave her job, her this, educated woman. She speaks few languages, perfect English. It's interesting, you find someone from a foreign country, most people in the world speak some English. But this is in English in a level that when you read, it sounds almost like American. Here and there, minor mistakes. Anyway, let's move on. So today we're continuing. Also, we actually finished the lecture last week with the story of Kamtsa Bar Kamtsa, how the temple destroyed because of hatred between two Jews, that they invited the wrong person to the party, and he wanted to kick him out. The rabbi didn't make a beep. He went to tell the goyim about the Jews, and that's how the destruction started. Now the Gemara continue. The Gemara says, A boy and a girl are engaged together, and the goyim, the Romans, captured them, and now they arrested them, and then they finished the wedding. They finished the wedding, I mean, now they married, 
And, and she said to him, I dare you never to touch me. Why? Because I, don't, I never received the ketubah from you. Officially, they married already. They married. They brought them some rabbi to finish, but they didn't finish the ketubah. And they were arrested in one room all their lives, and he didn't touch her once. You remember the story I said about the Russian immigrant last week that he came to Brighton Beach mm -hmm. and then he died, nobody knew who he is because he was never talking, didn't have kids. And in a funeral they found out that in Russia they didn't have a mikveh, was married to his wife all these years, never touched her once till they arrived to the United States. Everyone was crying, only seven people show up to his wedding. The rabbi said nobody has the merit to participate in a, a funeral of such a holy person. He lived with his wife more than 25 years, from the time they married in the beginning of their 20s until the woman couldn't give kids, it's about 25 years at least, yeah, until she became 45, that's it, she couldn't become pregnant anymore. And when they arrived to New York, it was too late already. Finally, they lived like a husband and wife, but 25 years, they in the same house, he didn't touch her once, because she wasn't pure, there's no mikveh. She's Nidao, all these 25 years. People in our generation. Then I told the story about somebody that called me that lived with his wife also 20-something years, and only one time she allowed him to touch her. And that's it. But he still has three kids. Even though he was with his wife only one night for the last 20-something years. Why? Everything was in a laboratory, artificially. She doesn't let him touch her. And he called to say that maybe he wasn't nice enough to his wife over the years after he heard my lecture in Shlom Bayit. And he calls me for bracha. I was holding my tears. I told him, are you out of your mind? You calling me for bracha? We, every person has to come to walk all the way to you to kiss your hands. You Yaakov Ravino of this generation. Living with a woman in a house for 20 years that she doesn't let you touch her and you thinking maybe you're not nice to her? Every normal person will give her a get a week after and the rabbi will tell him chazaku baruch. Good job. <laughs> What's marriage is all about if you don't have intimacy with your wife? What's the marriage is for? What, to be together and to suffer? Come on. It's a limit. Nowhere in the Torah it says you came to the world just to suffer. Suffering is a part of life. It cleans the soul and it, gets, it takes away all the sins. But just to suffer, for that there is Gehenom. Over there it's strictly suffering, nothing else. But over here there's life also. There's mitzvot, there's holidays, eating meat, drinking wine, enjoying, sleeping, snoring a little bit, you know, a little pizza here and there. It's not a sin. You can live a little bit. All right, let's move on. So, uh, then, Ma'aseh uh, Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanina, Rabbi Yoshua, son of Hanina, alach likrach gadol sheberomi. He went to a big city in Rome, the Roman Empire. Amru lo tinok echad yesh bebet ha'asurim. They took uh, one Jewish boy and they took him to Rome in a prison. Now he's locked in a prison. So he went from Israel to Rome, tried to release that boy. Mitzvah Pidyon Shvuim, redeeming the, the prisoners, Jewish prisoners, a very big mitzvah. When, he, when they told him, this is a beautiful, handsome teenage, 
you know, go and save him. He went over there, he saw he has, you know, I mean, he's in Rome, he doesn't have exactly a barber over there, you know. Uh, so he has some curly hair, and he's really, really a nice looking boy. So he went to the jail over there, and he says a pasuk from Isaiah 42, a verse. He wants to see if this boy knows Torah or is just another ignorant that doesn't worth a penny. Why? He said, if I'm going to release him, he better wor be worthwhile than I'm paying so much money to get him out. We're going to get something shocking here from this story. So he says, Who gave Jacob to the, robber, to, the, to, the, to the criminals and Israel to the robbers? It's a sentence. He continued the verse. This is God who we made sins to him. And we did not, we were not interested to follow his ways. And we didn't listen to the Torah. He said, Rabbi Yoshua said, I'm guaranteed that this boy will become a very important rabbi in the nation of Israel. It's worth it for me. I make a vow now. I don't leave this city until I release this boy, no matter how much it's going to cost me, whether it's a thousand, whether it's a million dollars in those days. I don't leave this place. Make a vow. He doesn't know how much they're going to ask, bribe, to get him out. So, in the end, they took advantage on him, of course, the goyim. And uh, he paid tons of money for him, tons, big amount. And very shortly after, years, two or three, the Gemara doesn't say time, but very shortly after, way shorter than expected, he became a giant rabbi, huge rabbi, that boy. And what's his name? Rabbi Ishmael ben Elisha, one of the most important rabbis in history. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Amar Rav, Rabbi Yehuda in the name of Rav says, something happened with this boy when he got older, he became Rabbi Ishmael ben Elisha. He had a boy and a girl. He has two kids. And they, they took them also. They capture his kids now. The Adonim, two different masters, took them to be their slaves in the home. That's what they used to do to the Jews. Still kidnap their kids. Then one time they arrived, the boy and the girl arrived to the same place. They say, I never saw such a beautiful girl, and she said, I never saw such a handsome boy. The masters... The master of the boy and the master of the girl, the master that owned the girl said to the other master, the two friends, so I have a servant, she is gorgeous. You never saw in your life such a beautiful girl. And then the other one said, I have a boy, this one Jewish slave that, I, that is working by me, very handsome boy. So they said, let's make a deal. Let's make a wedding between them. Get them, when we take their children, we're gonna have a lot of pretty children. It's, it's, you make a lot more money selling pretty kids. 
Even today you have business. Adoption, this, kids from Brazil, kids from Africa. It's all business here. It didn't start today. So they want to make now, like, like you have a nice dog and a, and a female dog, you want to have a lot of babies, you, you sell the babies, 2,000 a piece. Very good business. So what happened? So now they brought them together and they want them to get married. They put them in the same room. They didn't speak to each other. He was sitting, the boy, in one corner of the room and she was sitting in the other corner of the room. He said to her, Ani Kohen ben Kohanim Gdolim. My father was a very big Kohen. Rabbi Elisha, Rabbi Ishmael ben Elisha, is a Kohen Gadol. I'm going to marry a slave, he said, the boy. Yeah, I'm a slave, they're forcing me. But I'm a Kohen, I'm a son of a Kohen Gadol. Cannot marry a slave. And she said, my father, she's thinking, they're not speaking. She's thinking, my father is a Kohen Gadol, I'm going to marry this slave. They're both thinking the same. And Asel Eved, they were crying all night for the situation that they're in. Then the, the dawn came, dawn is the sunrise, right? Before the sunrise. And, they, and then they recognize each other. Remember, we are talking in generation that there was no electric. When they put them at 8 in the evening, it was a dark room. A little bit, you have a little candles over there, you don't see. Huh? Brother and sister. When they're, when they're, remember, they want to marry them now. So they were, they were expecting, as soon as you take a 17, 18 years old boy that is captured for a few years already, and a girl, maybe a year younger, that she's already a few years in prison, and you put them in the same room, two goyim, that you put them in one room and say, here, you together, what the goyim is going to do? Be together all night, no? They're not going to wait for the sunrise. But they, each one was thinking about how can I touch her. I'm a phone call. And she was thinking the same thing. And in the morning they recognized each other and they started to cry until they die from crying. This was the story. It's in the Gemara, in Masechet Gitin. And this, what the prophet Jeremiah, prophet Irmiah, is crying about in Megillat Echa, chapter 1. Echa Aleph. Al ele ani bochia enai enai yardamayim. The water don't stop coming out of, the tears don't stop coming out of my eyes, the prophet says. What was he thinking about when he wrote those words? About this boy and the girl, how they were put together in a jail. And instead of touching each other, they waited all night thinking, I'm holy, I cannot do such a thing. And in the end, it was brother. Imagine they, they wouldn't wait. They go after their desire, find out in the morning he slept with his own sister. What a disaster, you know? So, Amarav, Maidichtiv, Ashku Gever, Uveto, Ish Venachalato. This Gmarot we read in Tisha Be'av. In the ninth day of Av, we're not allowed to learn Torah. Why? The Torah makes a person's souls very happy. If he's normal. If he's very filthy and in impurity, he doesn't see the light of the Torah. Why? He's covered with so much dirt around his soul, <laughs> it doesn't penetrate. But if he's normal a little bit, as soon as he begins to hear Torah, he begins to feel, wow, exciting. Like this Goya. Goya. When I say Shema, she say, my whole soul is shaking inside my body from happiness. 
and tears begin to come, she said. Should read you her email, maybe. No? So, it says like this. So, the, since we don't, we're not allowed to learn a lot, I mean, Torah and Tisha B'Av, there are some parts of the Torah we, we are not allowed to learn. What is it? The laws of mournings. When a person dies, you rip the shirt, what side, or, you know, the jacket, not the jacket, here, that, father, sister, brother. There's a lot of laws to learn, the whole book. Just how to behave in a shiva, how to behave in a 30 days, how to behave in a whole year, the beer, this, all these things. There's a lot to learn. So, when we're allowed to learn this, that's one of the only things you're allowed to learn, is the laws of mornings, funerals, this, bury, kaddish, all these laws. Why? It makes you depressed. Doesn't make you happy. And there's one more thing we're allowed to learn, stories about the destruction of the temple. Stories about what the Romans or the Greeks or the Babylonians, what they did to us when they came to destroy Jerusalem. As soon as you begin to read it, you begin to cry. You read what, how, how they torture us and our fathers and grandfathers. It cannot make you happy, obviously. So this is what we read in Tisha B'Av, remember. If you remember that, you're going to go to Talmud series number 35, when Tisha B'Av comes, in the morning, you put this CD, you hear it two, three times in a day, it counts like you learn Torah, and permit the Torah. You know, the Gaon Mivilna, they call him in Tisha B'Av learning Gemara. He was hiding. One of his students, he didn't know he's there, he opened the door, the Gaon Mivilna is learning Gemara. Not this Gemara. This Gemara you're allowed to learn. Different Gemara. It's a rabbi. It's against the law. Tisha B'Av today. Say, yes, yes, I know I'm going to hell for it. I just cannot live a minute without Torah. I know I'm going to go to hell for it, for making this scene. But I, I, I can't live without the Torah. It's not in my hand. Just like us. <laughs> Rabbi, I can't, I can't eat. I can't. Why you don't eat? Three days. I can't, I can't. The, the five minutes eating, I, my, I'm dying. and My soul is going to drive me crazy. I've got I to gotta learn Torah. I knew one guy in my own eyes in Yeshiva I saw. He was attached to the Gemara even when he was eating. He never stopped learning. Even in the lunch break. <laughs> Everyone is eating, fressing, whatever. And he's... He missed the mouth sometimes, put the food in his ear by mistake. <laughs> Why? Because it's so deep in the Gemara, it goes like this. <laughs> Getting dirty. It's not here. He's forcing himself. Then I know another guy I saw in the yeshiva, the ugliest person on earth. From seven billion people, I never saw, and I saw who knows how many hundreds of thousands of faces in my life, never saw an uglier person than this guy. But at the same time, one of the smartest and sharpest brain people I ever saw. And what was he doing? He was learning in the Shiva and eating one piece of rye bread in the morning, one piece of rye bread in the evening, dipping it in olive oil with za'atar. The spice that you grind, the za'atar, the green spice, it becomes like a powder with some sesame inside. He puts it in the oil, dip it in the za'atar, and that's what he was eating. Two slices of bread, olive oil and za'atar, and nothing else. No fruit, no cakes, no nothing. And I say to myself, I know the Gemara said that soulmate, finding your soulmate is 100% from Hashem. You need to make some efforts, but it's a decision of God. Who's going with who? 
I say to myself, if this guy will get married, then I will never ever dare to have another doubt ever about this whole concept of Shiduchim, how it comes from Hashem. That means you know 100% it's from Hashem. Why I say, the chance for a guy like this in a natural way to get married is, all, is not even zero, believe me, below zero. <laughs> then all of a sudden, one day he moves out, he moves to a higher level, then they tell me that this guy got married. <laughs> I say, wow, you are amazing. They, I'm telling you, if I would, I, can, I couldn't show you the face, then it's Lashon Ara, it's like murder. But believe me, if I show you who I'm talking about, you will agree with me. You never saw such face in your whole life. And just when I went to Israel the last time, going in front of millions of people in Jerusalem, up oh, from all the people, I hear someone shouting my name. I tell around, I see him. I say, I heard you got married. Oh, I already have a few children. Everything is in the hand of Hashem. You can be the most handsome guy, rich, smart, 45, no, not married. You can be a face of who knows who. Everything works out right away. You know, one guy, <laughs> one guy, every shiduch they set him up with, he doesn't want. They get him this girl. Everything looks nice about her. So righteous, modest, pretty, everything. She's not for me. No. Two weeks later, they set him up with another shiduch. Not for me. A month later, another shiduch. Nah, he's 19, 20, 21 already. It's a from birth. Religious from birth. He doesn't get married. One time, his Rosh Yeshiva realized that this guy is full of ego. He thinks he's Rabbi Ochanan in a Gemara. was very handsome, Rav. Maybe he thinks it's Rabbi Yochanan or something, this guy. So he called him in, he said, I need to talk to you, it's important. He said, okay, listen, I have a great shidduch for you. Oh, Rabbi, wow, thank you for thinking about me, I appreciate it. There's only one minor problem. He said, what is it, Rabbi? You know, the girl is crippled. She had an accident when she was a kid, and she walks like this. But everything else is fine. Great family, righteous, pretty, everything. But crippled. So, Rabbi, I'm going to have to think about it. Please, no offense. I mean, I appreciate it, but crippled woman like this? Ah, I'm not sure. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Okay, so listen, I have another shiduch. Maybe you like this one better. Also a minor problem over there. So what is it? She's divorced. Rabbi, I'm not, uh, I'm not divorced. You say, yeah, but you know. So... It's the rabbi said, I'm, I'm surprised you don't want these girls. I mean, what do you think? Gonna find something better? <laughs> he killed him. He got up. The next day, they start to sing in yeshiva. What happened? He went to a girl from a month ago that he dated, and they made lechaim. They got engaged. So the rabbi comes to him and says, I just want to tell you, that uh, I never had for you any crippled girl and <laughs> no divorced girl. <laughs> but I wanted to lower your ego that you'll take that girl. And it worked. <laughs> you got it? Who do you think you are? Uh, I think there's an actor in Hollywood, this guy. Oh, you know, she's not. How about I don't like uh, black hair. 
No, I don't like this. You should see the nonsense I hear. It's not my type. It's not my style. You know? All right. That's what happened. Anyway, we, we move on with this. So, the Gemara say, Ashku gever ubeto, they robbed the man and his house, veish venachalato, and his whole uh, belongings, everything he owns, every land he owns. Believe it or not, what's going on here now, hard to believe. Even in our time. This is 2,000 years ago. A person started to look at his rabbi's wife. Psh, pretty, pretty girl, wow. He goes, he eats in his rabbi's table Friday night. He looks at his wife. One time, this guy was, was an assistant to a carpenter. He works for a carpenter. One time, Utsrach Rabo Lilvot. One time, his rabbi needed money to borrow. So he asked him, the student, Do you know who would lend me money? I need some money to borrow. He told them, Rabbi, you can send your wife to me, and I will give her the money you need. Send her tomorrow in the morning to, the, to where I work, and I'll lend you the money. The rabbi didn't suspect yet. So he sent his wife to him. And then, three days, she's not returning home. No telephone, like today. Honey, what's happening? Lunch is not ready. No, you don't know where he is. He didn't even know where he is. He gave her some address. Now he doesn't know where to look for her. Three days, she doesn't come home. He's nervous. He's sitting, getting nervous. Then, he started to ask people where this guy is. So they tell him, you find him in this address. So he goes there. He said, my wife that I sent to you three days ago, where is she? <laughs> he says, I don't understand why you're coming to me. She came to me for one minute. I gave her the money. A minute later, she left. But I heard that the kids, the pushtakim, the, 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 the low-life kids, the gangs on the street, they started to mess around with her. That's what the guy says. He said, what am I going to do? This rabbi, he doesn't even suspect that something like this can happen. He said, if you want to get my advice, give her a get right away divorce her. She fool around with the kids on the street. What kind of uh, a wife of a rabbi she is. Please, I'm sorry that I'm telling you this. Right? You know, you're my rabbi. So. so he told him, I can't afford the ketuba. It's a lot of money. I just need to borrow money as it is. Where am I going to give her now $50,000 that I wrote in her ketuba? Don't have the money. He told him, I will lend you, don't worry. Here, come. He gave him the money, and that rabbi believed this story. He went and divorced her. What happened? That carpenter went and married her. Now, you may ask how she agreed to marry him. She didn't have a choice. It's either to marry him or to die lonely. Why? The worst woman in those days, it's like death penalty. Nobody will marry you. 100%. You don't need to go that far. When I was a kid, nobody knew what divorce is. Rabbi Aderet once told me, this, this is more than 50 years ago, between 50 to 60 years ago, that we, when he was a kid, he walked with his father on the street one time, and he asked his father, Abba, Maze Gerushin, father, what's divorce? Kid. I don't know how old he was, four, five, seven, whatever. He didn't tell me exact age. 
And his father gave him such a smack, don't ever dare to repeat this word. You know what it was? Like cursing the worst curse today. If your little son comes to you and says the curse, what do you do? You give him a punishment or you warn him, no? That's how it was. Just to say the word divorce was, oh, look at this kid. How, what a dirty mouth he is. Today, you come to the class, whose parents divorce here? Everyone pick up two hands. So what, what? I ask who? It's enough one hand. No, my, fa my father is divorced already twice. <laughs> Some people pick up their legs in the air also, four times. Ay, 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 ay. So he gave him the money, and the rabbi divorced that woman. But now came the time that the rabbi was supposed to give him back the loan. And he's poor, he couldn't afford. So he said, I don't have the money, I don't know what to do. He said, come be my servant, Rabbi. You work in my house, you wait there, you clean. So he said to him, you work X amount of months until the debt, what you owe me, will be waived. And the Rabbi is making them food and serving them. And his ex-wife and this Rasha, this Low life is hugging and sitting in a table while he's serving them. You understand? And the tears of that rabbi as he served the food is falling into the glass that they drink. They don't realize. He brings, he serves the food, he puts, he pours in a glass, and tears are falling inside, and they drink it. And at that moment, HaKadosh Baruch Hu signed a destruction for the nation of Israel. That's what, that's what made the destruction of the temple. That's one of the reasons. signed. Up to now, it was all, only a decision, but not sealed yet. At that moment, it was signed and sealed. Temp that's it, finished. With no appeal. This is what happened. You know, so this is to give us an idea even though it was very rare to find garbage people like this, one like this it was, it was enough. Today there's a lot of dirty people like this. But 2,000 years ago, story like this is in the Gemara for eternity. For eternity. Every person learns that every kid who gets to Masechet Gitin reads this story about that person. Imagine if they write the Talmud today. <laughs> what are they going to write in the Talmud? Just from all the garbage that we hear in a day, you can fill up five Talmuds. <laughs> they wouldn't know what to put in. Every, I have a story. I have a story. I have five stories. I, I can fill up an encyclopedia from what I heard in the last 16 years. But no, I'm not exaggerating. From what I heard, jeez. Incredible. Anyway, so the Gemara say, oh, now the Gemara says, well, now we move to a different topic here. Mefarnisim aniei goim ovdei kochavim im aniei Israel. Every Jewish town has a committee. Not a committee, has a treasury. It's called gmach, gmilut chasadim. You don't have what to eat tomorrow for Shabbat. You come. Shalom, rabbis. I'm a poor man. It's holiday tomorrow, Shabbat. I need $100 to buy food for Shabbat. Okay, stand online, come here. Go and buy. Uh, and they give the money. It's like a, a bank of chesed, of donations. 
The rich people give their 10 or 20% from their income into that bank, and this bank helps the people. What happens if a Goy, a non-Jew come? He stands over there, feed me, I'm hungry. What do you do now? Are you allowed to take donations that Jews gave to help their brothers, to give it to some Goy that could be, not guarantee, but could be an anti-Semite Goy? You know, there's plenty of anti-Semites out there. So he hates them and comes to get help from them. Why? Because he has no choice. He knows nobody will give him in, in the place where he lives. So what's the law? The answer is, you give him. Why? First, he's a human being. He was created by God. Second, you know, if you don't give him, let's see, you would make a law that you don't, you're not giving him. What can happen? Watch worse things can happen. Or tomorrow a Jew would need food, and then the guy will not give him. There's a question in a Jewish law if a doctor is allowed to be, to violate Shabbat, to save the life of a goy. Why? Because in the Torah, as it, it's written in the Torah, every time the Torah speaks about relationship between Jews and Jews, which means uh, you're not allowed to charge interest to your brother, which means you're allowed to the non-Jew, but to your brother you're not allowed. If you find a lost object of your brother, a Tehillim book, something in Hebrew, you know it belongs to a Jew, in our days, a driving license, Moshe Cohen, you know, it's a Jew. There's things that you know, tefillin, tzitzit, mezuzah, uh, who knows, you know, there could be many things that you identify right away as belongs to a Jew. So then you cannot ignore it. Why? The Torah says, it's another form of your brother. Or which means another form of brotherhood. Those words, achicha, re'echa, amitecha, means between Jew to another Jew. But there's no obligation between Jews and non-Jews. But if the Torah just say, you should not kill. It didn't say you should not kill your brother, or re'echa, or amitecha, none of this. That means you're not allowed to kill anyone. Doesn't matter, any goy, not, you're not allowed to kill. Or unless if he come to kill you, then you're allowed to protect yourself. That's a different story. Are you not allowed to kill anybody even if he's not Jew? Or, the, uh, right now the Torah says, if, if, a, Jewish, if, a, Jewish, uh, if a Jewish doctor is allowed to violate Shabbat, where the question come from? The Torah says, when the life of a Jew is in risk, then another Jew allowed to violate Shabbat to save his life. According to the Torah, you're only allowed to violate Shabbat to save a life of a Jew. But what would happen if you are a doctor in a hospital and they call you on Shabbat to save Chris Williams? Now you know Chris Williams is not a Jew. As you see by the name, you don't, nobody has, you don't have to ask. Excuse me, he has a yamaka or no, this guy? You see the name, you know right away. So the doctor would say, no, no, I'm keeping Shabbat, I cannot come, cannot drive now, Shabbat, Sabbath. If the Gentiles will see that the Jews only save the life of the Jews on Shabbat, or deliver a baby from a Jewish woman, but not from a non-Jewish woman, what would happen? The, the non-Jewish doctors will do the same thing. Oh, yeah? You don't come on a shift? 
to say, okay, we don't come for Jews. And that's going to create a risk to the life of Jewish people, right? That's why it's allowed on Shabbat, you understand? It's an indirect damage, I mean risk, indirect risk for the life of a Jew. And the Torah says we are allowed to do everything on Shabbat to save the life of a Jew. By helping the Goyim, first we prevent hatred. Because anyway, some of them don't like Jews naturally. Now just give them a reason to go and attack and to burn the synagogue or who knows what. So obviously by doing something like this, you're dangering your own brothers. So even though God says in the Torah, you're only allowed to violate Shabbat to save your brothers, but nobody else, I'm violating Shabbat for Chris Williams, even though you didn't give me permission to do it for him, but by helping him, I'm helping Moshe and Yitzchak and Avner tomorrow morning or next Shabbat. You understand? That's how it's allowed. Otherwise, what can we do? That's what God said. That's what it's, it goes deeper and deeper. So here, now the Gemara is, uh, is asking a question. You're allowed to take a donation from a Jew that gave it to the Jewish committee and to give it to a stranger, a guy that came from somewhere? The answer is yes. What happens if a guy is in a hospital? When you go to visit the Jews in that hospital, you're allowed to go and visit him and pray for him like you do to the Jews? The answer is yes. What happens if in the place where you live, there is non-Jews who worship? First of all, I want to make a declaration here that it's very, very important. And for years, I forget to say it. For years. Now, Baruch Hashem, it reminds me. Everything, every negative things that the Talmud say ever against Goyim, against non-Jews, it's only speaking against the seven nations that are mentioned in the Torah as idol worshippers. Those nations that used to have tons of prostitution and tons of idols in the Holy Land before the nation of Israel arrived. This is seven nations, the Girgashi, the Knani, Aimori, Achivi, Ayvusi, Aprizi. Those nations, today we don't know who they are. It's, Sancheri was a king that made a mess in the whole world. So that you don't really know each Gentile belongs to what root, you don't know. You don't know who's Amalek, you don't know who's Knani, you don't know anything. But in the old days, they knew. They come now, this is the Knanim, this is the, they're all worshipping idols. Everything that the Torah spoke against, Goim, is this, this Goim. Only those idol worshippers. But if it's a righteous Gentile, which means he's not worshipping any idol, he believes in God, like an Arab. An Arab that is not for murder, it's not supporting murders, is against murder, he lives in his corner, he believes in one God, and you know, he doesn't steal, he, his, his wife, his, him and his wife keep modesty, they pray to God in their own language, forget Quran, I already proved Quran is man-made book, okay, there's Shakespeare and there's Quran, same thing, you know, so uh, the idea is just an, an Arab somewhere in one of the countries, believe in one God, Pray to him, talk to him, do not steal, no, no relation crimes in a family with his seven close relatives, and uh, doesn't eat any animal before he kill it, 
and obey the rules of his police and court in his country. That's it, it's a righteous goy. Never in the history the Torah spoke against these goyim, the opposite. They're allowed to be citizens in Israel, they have rights, they have to respect the law of the Sabbath. They don't have to keep Sabbath in their home, but on the street they're not allowed to ride on a horse on Shabbat or to light fire on the street like they used to do. No, because you live in a holy land, you have to respect the law of the place. You don't disturb the observance of the Torah here in this place. You want to do it, go back to your nation. Do whatever you want over there. But over here, you have to obey the rules in public. But inside your home, you can do whatever you want. You can smoke a cigarette, you can, you can cook, you can do whatever you want in your home. But in the public, you're not allowed. But they have rights. So now remember, if ever somebody comes to you and tells you, ah, the Torah is prejudiced, it's racism, it's against the goyim, it's not true. Because the Torah says that a goy that learns Torah, it's like a Kohen Gadol, like the most important person in the world. And we should not uh, be happy when the goyim are, uh, are destroyed. Why? God made them, how can you be happy? And to, be, to, uh, to live in peace with them. And uh, so many interesting, nice things about the goyim. So obviously, and sometimes we hear very bad things. You know, like Amalek and other ones. So remember, do not mix. There is righteous Gentile, and there are Gentiles that God say, you don't make peace with them, you don't do why, because they worship idols, I cannot stand them. I threw them out of the land. Those are two different categories. Same thing today. Today, some goyim, some Gentiles are idols worshiping, worshippers. Hate Israel, hate everything against the, from the Torah. Uh, they believe in the monkeys, evolution, they go against God, they, they have all kinds of voodoo things. These are the filthy Gentiles. However, you have millions of Gentiles that believe in God, they love God, they have nothing against the Jews, the opposite, they respect them because they read the, the chosen people in the Torah. These goyim, you have to be extremely nice to them. Extremely nice, because why? They're righteous according to their obligations. So let's just move on. So the Gemara says here, what happened if this idol worshiper, his father, I mean his son, wants to bury him in a Jewish cemetery? Remember in previous lecture, I made it clear that the Torah said that even a Jew that does not observe the Sabbath cannot be buried with regular Jews who keep the Shabbat. They have to be separated with a fence in a different section, not together. Why? Because they are like goyim. Their status in the halacha is like 100% like a non-Jew. So they're not allowed to be in the same area, in a cemetery. You make them a special section, but they have to make a separation, a fence, a wall, anything that separates. There is no direct contact between one section to another. It has to be a separation. Now we are talking someone who actually worships an idol, a non-Jew. He died. His son, which is also an idol worshiper, brings him to the Jews. I want him to be buried with you. We were neighbors in the same neighborhood. Bury him over here. Or I don't want to go three miles away. Over here it's, it's close. Here I'll pay you for the grave. Bury him over here. You bury him. How come? It's a contradiction, no? If a non-Shomer Shabbat Jew you're not allowed, it's needless to say a goy you're not allowed, no? Like this. The answer is, everything I said, that you give them charity, you visit their sick in a hospital, as you do with the Jews, you bury their people in a Jewish cemetery, Mishum Darkei Shalom. 
from the ways for the sake of peace. Why, if you're not going to do it, it would create more hatred to the Jews and who knows what damages it can cause. You know, when the Jews were trying to recuperate from the Holocaust, they wanted to come to the United States. There was no Israel yet. We're talking 60-something years ago. And they, they, in the United States, there was a debate if to open the gates for the Jews, the survivors, or not. I believe the president was Truman. Truman, I think. Harry Truman, that was the president, I believe. Maybe I'm making a mistake in the name, but I'm almost sure. And the vote was mostly against, against allowing like 100,000 Jews to come to the United States. They said, what do we need all these immigrants now? We're going to have to help them, to give them uh, benefits, food stamps, whatever. They come, they don't know the language. We don't need this headache. So he got up and he said, I don't understand what you have against these people. I have three religious Jews in my office, the nicest people. Polite, helping, generous, honest, respect. Great people, they love God. What, what can, if we're going to get 100,000 people like this, it's a blessing for our country. After his speech, everyone vote for it, and they came in. That's the reason we're sitting here. We have thousands of synagogues here, thanks to his speech. What made him say the speech? Those, those few Jews. Think about it. Everything you have in America, Lakewood Yeshiva, 5,000 learners. 500 synagogues in Queens alone, I don't know, 100, 200, 500, I, I stopped counting already. I think I spoke in more than 100 synagogues in Queens in the last few years. Every time I find out about another one. This synagogue is how old? One year old? The other one, six months old. Every two months, it's a Baruch Hashem, another one. I told you why, because the Satan is not nervous when Jews donate to synagogues. First, there's plenty of synagogues. So we don't really need. So the Satan say, okay, good, let their donation go for more synagogues. Because anyway, we can manage without it. So it's really hardly anything. Second, what's better, that they'll give money to save Jews and make them religious? God forbid. So they want to give donation? Oh, we're opening a new synagogue, a new Achnasat Sefer Torah every week. Everybody runs. Rabbi, 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, 180,000 to build another building and another one. That's the way it was in Europe. What do you think? Go to Prague, see these fancy synagogues. The synagogues of Prague in Czechoslovakia, if you had to build synagogues like this today, it's minimum 30 million each, minimum. Just from the artwork, from the painting, took years. You saw that? I saw one time a catalog with the synagogues in Czechoslovakia. Wow. Like making a palace to the king of the world, you couldn't make such beautiful places. What fancy places. Ah, chandeliers, art, arches. Go to Manhattan. You ever been in a parky synagogue? I spoke there twice. For one week I couldn't sleep after seeing the beauty of that synagogue. It's like old, older than 100 years old. Very ancient artwork. I don't know how they made it. Who knows how many years it took to build it, especially more than 100 years ago. They didn't have the, 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 the tools that they have today. Could be 20, 30 years to build a building. The Portuguese shul. Now recently the Safra shul in Manhattan. Did you see all these places? It's hard to believe. Another one, and another one. It's billions. Could be trillions over the years. 
This is it. So, remember, everything we speak about is for the sake of peace. We should never be the reason that they come to fight against us and attack us. The free Jews that made good impression on this president, Truman, maybe it was Roosevelt, I don't know. You know American history better than me. One, one of them, he was the one who gave the speech, and those three Jews have the merit of every mitzvah has been done in the United States. From all the Jews who came from Europe, and they have children and grandchildren, and some of them are big rabbis, and they do mitzvot, and they have yeshivot. Everything, they have a share in it. Everything. Why? They made good impression. However, imagine if they were bad people, nasty, rude, not honest. He would get up and say, absolutely not. I have three in my office, garbage people. You want to bring another 100,000 like this? No way. Right away, everyone will get influence. And they'll die in, in, in Europe. That's where would they go. The, the Polish were killing them. All the survivors that the Polish could, they killed. Access to their head, they used to stick. Split the heads open. They asked the Polish, you became worse than the Nazis. The Polish goyim. Why you hate them so much? What was the answer? Before the Nazis put them in camps, they used to own all the businesses. And they were not nice to us. So now it's our revenge. They were cheating us in the business, this, that. You understand how important it is not to do Chilul Hashem? You have no idea how far you can travel. You make bad reputation to the Torah of Hashem. The way we behave, that's how the Goim uh, analyze the Torah. A goy, how does a Goim know if the Torah is good or not? If you see a religious person, Rambam writes, What does it mean? You should love your God. You have, the way to show that you love God is that every non-Jew that sees you Fall in love with Judaism thanks to your behaving. That's a sign you love God. Make such good impression. I told you the story about that sign. I sat in the airport in Toronto. The chief of the flight, I don't even know until this moment if he was a Jew or not. He didn't tell me I'm a Jew, so I assume he wasn't. Most likely he wasn't. Doesn't look like a Jew. He... I sit and I walk on my computer waiting for my flight. He comes to me with a smile. What's that about? Oh, you know, I'm a speaker in Judaism. I give seminars, this, I travel. Interesting, yeah. Eternal life. He's starting to make a conversation. I give him my car, this. We talk another few minutes. Then he comes and gives me a boarding pass. Take mine. Two minutes later he comes. He gives me a new one. Put me in first class. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's only an hour and a half flight, no big deal. But I'm sitting in the first row now. Then the Studerhurst, she comes to me, French accent. I don't know, Jewish, not Jewish. She comes to me, it's not fair, you gave him your card, you didn't give me my card. What's your website? I give her the card, we begin to talk, she begins to speak to me in Hebrew, with French accent. She used to live in Tel Aviv, which she was a teenager for a year or two. You never know. Nice to one thing, the next thing is have another Jew. No idea. You know how many times 
goy that was impressed from the lecture convinced a Jew to do this? He had no idea. I have emails from goyim in different places in Texas, this. I'm trying to convince this Jewish guy in my work to listen to this lecture. You impress the goy, and the goy could save three Jews. You understand what's going on here? Anyway, so... The Gemara continues, Amarav asur lo laadam sheitam klum at sheiten maachal lebeemto. There's no permission to eat anything before you feed your animals. Why? If your animals are in the wild, they can go and, and take care of themselves. They're in your cage, they're in your home, you have a fence. You must feed them. If not, you're torturing them. There's no permission to torture animals. Also, what's the opinion of Judaism of killing animals that their species, this kind of species, is about to disappear from the world? Dolphins, whales, uh, certain kinds of, all kinds of animals. If they, are, if they are disappearing from the world, if there's plenty of them, no, you need their fur, you need their, skin, their leather to make couches, whatever. So the animals were given for people to benefit from them. What happened if 90% of this race is gone from the world. We continue to kill them. In another 5-10 years, there's not going to be any left. Do we have to care about it or not? What do I care? I want to enjoy now. I want to kill this animal because I need to use it whatever for whatever my needs are. Are we allowed or no? The answer is we're not allowed to kill them. Why the interest of God is no race will disappear from the face of the earth when it comes to animals. People, it's a different story. If Hashem said to destroy Amalek, its interest is that this nation will disappear completely. As long as they're alive, the, 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 the perfectness of God cannot be seen perfectly here. That's what, is, that's what, that's what we have to have in mind in Kaddish. Hachi machesh moshe Amalek. Mitzvah from, from the 613 mitzvot, one of them is to destroy any memory of Amalek. But as I say, we don't know who's Amalek today. We don't know. Maybe we're converting people and in the end they're from Amalek. We have no way to know. So we go by, the Torah always told us whenever there is a doubt, you follow the majority. Which means if a Gentile come to you, you don't know if he's from Amalek or not. What do you have in the world more? Amalek or not Amalek? Non Amalek, no? So you have to assume that it's not Amalek. What happens if you come to heaven and God says, you know, you just converted an Amalek? No problem, you're not guilty. Why? The rules in the Torah. A doubt, follow the majority. You understand? Same thing in mixture in food. Non-kosher drop fell into kosher. What do you have more? You have more kosher. Oh, so the non-kosher doesn't exist. Ah, it's there, I saw in my eyes... It fell in, a piece from a pork, drop, whatever, or for cheese went into the chulent. I saw in my eyes. Doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. The majority, that's what always win in mixtures. With people, with stores, with areas. Same thing when you find a lost object. How do you know if you have to announce or not? If the place is mostly Jewish, the Torah said to, to your brother, you must return it. So if the place is Monsi, 99.99% of the people are Orthodox observant Jews, then you know right away it belongs to a Jew. In the end, it could be, it could be to Jose Amigo that, that cut the grass. Maybe it fell from his pocket. You have no way to know. But how many Amigos do you have in Monsi? 
one compared to 10,000, no? So what's the chance it belongs to Amigo? Unless if you see a gold cross, then you know it doesn't belong to a Jew. But if it's something that is glasses, how do you know it belongs to who? You have to assume it goes by the majority. What happened if it fell in Manhattan? You found something on the floor in Manhattan. What do you have in Manhattan? If it's on 47th Street, you have to announce. Why? It's 70% Bukharians there. <laughs> For sure. You have to announce. But if it's in uh, the village, mostly non-Jews, it's yours. No one has to announce. Remember, the Torah told us, no, we have no permission to steal a penny from a goy. And if we did, we must return it before we die. If not, we're, not, we're guilty. We're not clean. You're a thief. Doesn't matter. But no obligation, if you found something on the street, to search for Vini for five days and look for him to return five dollars to him. I have no, I have no obligation. But to my brother, it's not about the money. It can be worth a dollar, doesn't matter. It's to show you brotherhood. We all want soul, you understand? Soul that's split to many different parts. It's, not, it's more than the money, and it could be a billionaire. It could be a pen that worth, I don't know, five dollars. How much is worth? It's not the issue. It's the issue to show one each other that we have to love each other. And he appreciates, wow, you came all the way here to give it to me. That's how we make each other better. But my obligation is to educate my brothers. One guy asked me on the Facebook, what's your opinion on conversion? Are you one of these rabbis who are totally against it, or you think it's a good thing? What's my answer to him? For some Gentiles, conversion is very good. For others, it's very bad. Depend. Depend. Some, some Gentile, it much be much better for him to stay a goy. You become a Jew, now your, your life is a million times harder, and you don't keep anything. So what was the point? You want to bury yourself deeper? Before, you didn't have obligations. Now you made yourself so much obligations which you not meet. It's better off to stay what you... Some going, it's a crime to, to keep them Gentiles. They have such potential. As soon as they become Jewish, five years later, it's already a, a legend, this guy. Wow, look at him, how he learns, how he's serious, volunteer, helping, teaching, reading the Torah already. You saw that Yuda Peretz, the former priest from Mexico, you saw how he writes Sifre Torah? He almost, he almost became a priest. He was very close to finish the, 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 the teaching, the learning. Now the Gemara continues. A person that came out of the bathroom. He cannot be with his wife in relation, intimate relation, until he wait X amount of time. Like about half an hour today. Why? Because there are, everything I say now, it's not applied to our generation because the better he said, the bathroom of those times was very filthy. And all the waste of the people were going down the hall, but staying inside the place all the time. Today when we flush, it goes out. So it disappeared from there. So all these laws are for 2,000 years ago when there was no flushing system. Everything stayed there, so the demons like to be there. The filthy demons, they go there. When you leave the bathroom, they stick to you for X amount of time. 
So if you come to be with your wife when this demon is right next to you, Chaz Shalom, it can create problems. And if you do it, in their days, if you did it, some people even today, they don't dare to do it. They say, how do I know? Maybe a little bit of the way stay in the bathroom and the demon is still there. We don't know. We don't see demons today. But maybe they're there. It's better to be on the safe side. Why? Because if you do it, your kids will not be good. Will be kids that will be forced and, and down, surrender like this. Like people put them, they're not, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it in English. Wash the hands, you get, get rid of a bad spirit that exists in a bathroom. Something else. Then the Gemara continues, three things are weaken, weakening the body of the person. Make it more weak. What is it? Fear. Person is in fear. Wow, police will catch me or not? For, for one week, two weeks, all days. <gasps> police is here. He looks from the window. You know, he's nervous. Or somebody threatening his life. He's worried all the time. Every noise in the backyard. Right away, he takes his gun. He's it kill him. It destroy him. The way traveling today, you sit in first class, air conditioned. Say, senor, what would you like? Whiskey? Give your credit card. No problem. <laughs> you don't suffer so much, unless if you travel in Spirit Airline to Florida. Over there, it's Gehenom for three hours in this life. <laughs> if you're smart, you never dare to go there even for free. <laughs> for free. What a horrible place. Break you. You cannot even fit your legs. Pusha, embarrassment. They like, treat you like a dog. They made the chairs to the size of a three-year-old kids. <laughs> yes, everything costs money over there. You want a second bag? 40 bucks. You want uh, to sit in this part of the plane when you have another inch room for your knees? Another 40 bucks. Yes, no, not even a glass of soda, nothing. Everything you have to pay, yes. I don't order my tickets. So depend who invites me to speak. If he's a stingy person, I pay the price. <laughs> if he's a generous person, he pay the extra 40 bucks. You understand? So when I told one of the guys in Miami, wow, I suffer so much in a, in a flight, I feel like I'm already after the Shabbaton, before I started even. Why? What happened? They put me like a sardine. I couldn't move. He said, what is this? Comes to the person who made the reservation, put him right away in the first row. They told him it costs more money. He said, no problem, how much more? 40 bucks. Here, he put 50 bucks on the table. <laughs> me and my great luck. It was too late already. It was three hours before the flight. In the morning of the flight, on Sunday, the flight is packed already. So on the way back, I sat between two monster giant, 300 pounds, 250 pounds. And not only there's no room for the knees, when I went there, at least I could turn my knees a little bit diagonal, like, you know, towards the window. But now, it was, this guy, he couldn't even put the bar. You know, they have this thing that comes down. And there's, no, there's no even point of putting it down. You're going to smash his, 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 his side. It's all the way here. I, I couldn't move. I was trying to make some notes to learn something. The book couldn't open up. <laughs> and then, the worst thing is, that I'm thinking to myself, how I'm between these two monsters. And in the end, when we got up, when the flight is finished, 
It tells that it's a mother and a son. Oh my God. And I put me I complained on the way there. You show me, don't ever complain. It can be a lot worse. <laughs> Spirit Airline. Nine dollars flight. There's a reason why. I didn't pay nine. They paid two hundred and fifty dollars for this lousy fare. You understand? Don't think that they gave us any bargain on the price. This is it. Anyway, so let's move on. So the the way in the old days, what's the way? Donkey, camel, desert, no beautiful roads. You sit in your BMW listening to a good lecture. <laughs> Forty degrees Celsius humidity. It's like 110 degrees. Imagine you're in the desert of Arizona on a donkey. No, move. <coughs> he doesn't want to move. Move, I'm dying here. No water. The way it destroyed the person. People who had to travel a lot on their camels or donkeys destroyed them. And what's the third way? Intentional sins. Avonot. Avon. Make the body weak. What's the connection? Shave with a razor. On purpose. He knows it's not allowed. Ruining your health. Eating non-kosher. Knowing it's not permitted. Ruining your health. Three things. Okay, uh, uh, just a small correction. Those three things that I mentioned are destroying the body of a person. Making him older, making him sicker, and things like this. Energy. The energy is something else. If you have energy and strength to do or not, now it's three things that take away your energy. Now you're going to understand why we're tired all the time. What are the three things? A person that eats while he's standing. You know these people standing like monkeys in a, in a, in a market, eating falafel, all the, the tchina is all over them, you know, like this, that. Oh, give me more. Put more. The pita is ripping. It's all over his soup. Mm, you know? <laughs> a, a, a respectable person never eats while, while he's uh, standing. Even if he's alone, it's not healthy. But a, a bite here and there, it's, we're not talking about this. We're talking a real meal. Eating, he has a plate. You know, sometimes in a bar or in a wedding, there's no place to sit or... So people are standing and eating, or in a lecture. It's very common in a lecture. Sometimes no room, all the chairs, everyone's sitting, and the people who come in the end, they take food from the buffet, and they sit for an hour and eat while they're standing. A real meal. Meat, this, rice. No. So, ochel me'umad, while he's standing. Eating while he's standing. Drinking while he's standing. Also, make, taking away your energy. You want to see, now you understand why rabbis, when they, when they come to eat or to drink, they sit right away, they make a bracha and they drink. And having relation with your wife while you're standing. Also taking away all the energy of the person for the next few days. He doesn't feel it maybe right away, but then after a few hours he becomes numb, sleep, fall asleep, you know. Drinking water? Water? It say drinking. I don't know what. Any kind of drinking. Once it does not specify what kind of drink, that, then we have to assume it's speaking about all kinds of drinking. Now I want to tell you, in the old days there was only one kind of drink. Water and wine. Two kinds. There was no 
Snapple iced tea, 500 flavors, 50 different Coke, and 500 imitations. Didn't have it 2,000 years ago. The people drank water, and most of the time wine, because the water was very bad. They dig holes in the ground, and it wasn't good, so they preferred to drink wine. They were drinking wine or mix of wine and water. So that's what they used to drink. So obviously it's include water as it is. Okay, now, three, eight things, most of them are bad, the minority of them are good. What are they? Most wealthy people, most people, it's bad for them to be wealthy. But small percentage is very good for them. Sleeping. More, most people, if they sleep too much, it's very bad for them. But for some people, like sick, old, very old, you know, it's good. It's good for the body. It makes the body stronger. Hot food and hot drinks. For most people, it's bad. Too hot. It goes to the stomach, burns the stomach. You know, this kind of, wow. You feel it right away when we eat something too hot. You didn't wait until it cools off. But for some people, it's not making a damage. It's okay, it's good. Taking blood out of the body. In the old days, one of the cures that they used to do is take some blood out, let the blood, re blood renew itself. For most people, it's bad. For some people, it's good. Work. Physical work. For most bodies, over the years, it breaks the body. Make damages in the spine, in the knees, etc. But for some people, it's the best thing can happen. Derech Eretz. Derech Eretz in the modern Hebrew means manners. But in the Torah, it doesn't mean manners. Many wise guys and wise girls, they like to make fun at religious people that don't have manners, and they come with this sentence in Hebrew. Derech Eretz Kadma La Torah. Manners come before being knowledgeable in Torah. Why? Because they translate the verse according to the modern spoiled Hebrew. It's not the original language of God, the modern Hebrew. Many mistakes there. But the truth is, that's what it means. I asked this question in my Facebook, nobody knew the answer. And there are 55,000 people who saw it. And with the people who are not in my page, it came to 2 million people who saw it. Nobody knew. 2 million people who understand Hebrew, nobody knew what does it mean, Derech Eretz Kadmala Torah. You don't believe me? Go into my Facebook page in Hebrew. It's in the bottom of my front page in my, in my website. Scroll all the way down, there is two Facebook, one with the American flag, one with the Israeli flag. You understand the difference? One is in Hebrew, one is in English. Press on the Israeli flag, and you see how many people in the list. According to now, it's already 55,000. At that time, it was 53, 52 and a half. But it's not only the people there. You have a lot of viewers that are not in your page. Different people. Nobody knew. No, not everyone responded, but for those who responded, nobody knew. What does it mean, Derech Eretz Kadma La Torah? 
means before the Torah was given, there was already human laws in all over the world. People made roads, there were taxes, there was army, there was all kinds of degrees in, degrees in the army, who was in charge of who, uh, you know, all, all kinds of things, life and death, abortion is allowed, not allowed, uh, how do you share real estate to people, to families, what about revenge, what people didn't make a law, one day without laws, people eat each other alive, without, without police, without this. They, they, didn't, they couldn't wait 2,400 years until finally the Jews got the Torah to be able to do Aleph Bet, ABC. No, they had rules. When the Torah came, it shocked many people. It told them about respecting your parents, how important it is. About stealing, wow, such punishments. About the Shabbat, who knew about Shabbat? If the Torah wasn't be given, no human being would ever think about making these laws. It's very strange to human logic. Right? Lulav, etrog, sukkah, matzah, none of it would ever come without the Torah. But you should not kill people had before Torah. Should not steal before Torah. Uh, you know, uh, don't take a married woman. Uh, like someone, she lives with this man for five years. What are you doing? It's not your woman. Every normal person understands it. He doesn't need Torah for it. Don't be cruel to animals. You need Torah for it? It's human logic. But 80% of the Torah, it's not so simple in human logic. Not only it's not simple in human logic, sometimes it's against human logic, as we spoke in different lectures about it. So derech eretz means way of life. You are a servant, and he's a soldier, and he's an officer, etc. For most people, all this stress is bad. But for some people, they can live without it. Eight things destroying the seed of the man. You know, many people cannot have kids. When they go, they call it today counting sperm. Sfirat zera. They check the sperm of a man, and sometimes it's not enough to, to make a woman pregnant. Fifteen percent of the Jewish married couples are barren. Fifteen percent, that's the statistic according to five years ago, maybe now it's more or less, I don't know. Five years ago, I saw in research, 15 out of 100 do not, cannot have kids. Today, Baruch Hashem, they have all kinds of ways to fertilize the egg artificially, etc., etc. Probably is bringing the statistic down, but Hashem is not happy with us, because one of the curses in the Torah, in Parashat Bechukotai, we read two weeks ago, was when you're with me, when you're listening to me, I will multiply you and, you, and bless your women's pregnancy. But when you go against me, one of the prices you pay, hard to, to bring children to the world. And finally, when they come to the world, they drink your blood with a straw. Yeah, drugs, problems, stealing, robbing, police calling you one o'clock. Do you know where your son is? They have a commercial. I don't know if they still have it, but a few years ago, I used to hear it right after the news. It's 10 o'clock now. Do you know where your children are? <laughs> you still have it? Now they have to update the time. It's three o'clock now. <laughs> three o'clock a.m. Do you know where your children are? Yes, yeah, stole your car and driving with the friends with drugs and alcohol in Manhattan somewhere. Yes, you know, you know how many parents right here in the neighborhoods here are hiding their, their key of the car under the pillow when they go to sleep and lock the door with five different locks? Why, maybe the more ungenious boy that they have will take the car when he's 15 years old and go hit somebody. 
after drinking five bottles of whiskey. You understand? Yeah, that's what's happening today. You know what's going on? You know there are kids that the police don't even come to this place anymore when the parents call. They get tired after a while. Let them kill each other. What do we care? They come in the beginning, try to break the fight between the father and the son. Once, twice, three times. How long are the police going to come in the end? They threaten the guy. It doesn't help. He beats, he beats up his father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I saw a, a, a Jewish kid, girl. She went to a place for Shabbat. And there was one kid over there that smacked his father in the middle of the meal. And it's been now, what is it now, Wednesday today? Four days that this girl is in total shock. And that's all she talks about. She never ever believed, this religious girl, that she will ever see a teenage come to his father in front of everyone and smack him like this. You understand what's going on here? Here you go. So, eight things are destroying the seed. What are they? Salt. The more salt a person eats, it's affecting the seed. Hunger. A person is hungry all the time. It creates less seed. Netek, disconnected, the cord that sends the seed out, sometimes it cuts. There's all kinds of problems that people have. Crying too much. person crying is depressed. It's affecting the quality of his seed. Sleeping on the floor, hard floor. Some people say, Rabbi, I like to, I like to sleep on a rug, my back hair. Check, maybe that's the reason you don't have kids. Uh, some two other things that I prefer not to say in front of the camera. I know now a thousand people will call me tomorrow. What was those two things? Don't call, I don't have time. <laughs> you know what? Today, it's already four or five months since I've been in Belgium. Ah, maybe more, six months by now. Until today, I, get, I gave a lecture over there about relationship between guys and girls. And I say over there in the lecture that I have a list of things that preventing young, I mean, single people from getting married. Until today, every week, I still get emails about that lecture from six months ago. Tell me what was the list. In the beginning, I sent the list. Now, I say, oh, it's a full-time job. Because <laughs> I didn't want to say it in front of the camera over there. You know, <laughs> full-time job. Anyway, so... We, time, we have four minutes left, so let's just finish this. It says like this. Tanya, Ya Rabbi Meir, Omer, Keshem she'adeot b'ma'achal, kach adeot b'nashim. The same way the opinions of the, the mind of the people are in the food, that's how their mind in women, talking about the men. What two things men like? That their mind is in the food, and their mind is in the ladies. Then... Yes, Adam, there are people who a fly falls into their glass. They have a drink. Hop! A fly came, fell inside. Let's try to swim now. He take him out, throw it, and he disgusted from the drink, he doesn't drink, he spill it out. This is Midat Papus Ben Yehuda. This is Papus. Papus, his name, son of Yehuda, Shaya Noel Bifne Ishtoveyotse, used to lock his wife and go. Sometimes 
יש לך אדם שזבוב נופל לתוך כוסו, there are people who fly falls into his glass, throw him out and drink after he threw him out. This is most people, שמדברת עם אחיה וקרובה ומניחה, which means that a woman, she talks to her brothers and her relatives, you know, she doesn't feel it's a problem with the modesty. But once in a while you find a girl that even with them she breaks distance. No, no, it already can develop something. יש לך אדם שזבוב נופל לתוך תמחוי. You have people who when a fly falls into their soup or a drink, they take the fly, they take the drop or two that's stuck to it, and throw it, מוצצו ואוכלו. וואו, wait a minute. No, why, why, why? And they suck it and eat it. No, eat the, eat the food, the soup. They throw the fly, they eat the soup. <laughs> It's tricky a little bit. Zomi dat adam ra. That's a bad person. Sheroet ishto. This is all a parable. Parables. The Gemara speaks in codes here. I hope you, you're clever enough to catch the point here. A person that sucks the fly, throw him out and eat the soup, is equal to a person that sees his wife going out to the street, not modest, the hair is not covered, and she works, she works in a market, knitting, she needs sweaters, she works in a market, people pass by and see her, everyone see her, she's working in a store, in a booth, and you know, everyone see that she's not modest. She brings her sleeves up because it's easier for her to work. And she, she wash with other people with her, which means she goes into the pool with other people. The Gemara says, what? What? Other people? Where did you have a woman like this? The Gemara never believed that in our days... Religious women will sit in Miami Beach. Rabbi, don't worry, it's, it's only 8 in the morning. They didn't come yet. The Gemara said, what? Taking a swimming or taking a shower with other people? Where did you hear such thing? The Gemara said, No, not with them together. But in the same water that other people were there, which means I believe men they're talking about. The man over there in that pool, now it's different time, she goes in. Even this, it's already derogatory. Today everyone does it. I knew you're going to say something. <laughs> I was just hoping you're going to wait after the lecture is over. We have one more minute. No, no, I'm sorry. So the answer of the Gemara is, a woman like this, it's a mitzvah. It's an obligation to divorce her right away. For what? Walking on the street, the hair is not covered, lifting her sleeve while she's walking, and washing in a pool that yesterday man was there. Let's drop the third one. No, we'll give you a discount. Forget about it. I, I regret I even say it. But the first two, it's almost every woman today. Mitzvah, Rabbi, 
מה, we, we, we are religious from Russia, from Bukhara, from Samarkand, this is how we are, you know, when we walk, we pick up the sleeves. What's going on? No, 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 we don't cover the hair, but don't worry, Abba, I put it together with a clip. A husband has to divorce her. Why? Who would dare to do to have such a wife? Imagine if the Chachamim, 2,000 years ago, when they lived, this was their situation. Imagine you bring them one minute back to life on Main Street in a 90 degrees day like today. What's happening here on the streets? They say, okay, okay, dismiss the Gemara. What, we make a fool out of ourselves? Everything we wrote, it's like Chinese. It doesn't belong in this generation. Look at the people, how they behave. There's only one problem. The truth is the truth and remains the truth until the world will end. Nowhere God said that the truth will ever change because the level of the people that they are more and more losers. We're still going to be judged for the sleeves and for not covering the hair. And you're not going to be able to say, oh, I live in Manhattan, it's hard over there. We live in Miami. I gave a lecture to the women in Miami in the morning, in the evening actually, and guess what happened? Some of the girls got offended that I spoke about modesty. Too much! Too much! How can we do it? It's hot. Over there it's much harder. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the Torah says. Ki ervad davar. Ervad davar, something derogatory. Not modest. Take the wickedness out of your home, the Torah says. And this husband is bringing wickedness into his home. If I was a woman and I would read this in a Gemara in Masechet Gitin, I would cry, I'll tell you the truth. Well, knowing if, if that's talking about me, I walk sleeveless. I don't cover the hair, I'm not modest, I walk in a store, not modest, and people come see me. Forget about the pool, no, no problem, the pool. I, I would cry. Why, Hashem, God is calling me wicked, wicked in his Torah. So me, it's talking about us. Talking about the husbands, that they are foolish, that they're still keeping them married to them. What about Rabbi, but he has eight kids. What about the kids? The Torah didn't make any exception to the rules. Nowhere it says here, but if they have a lot of kids, have mercy on the kids, stay married. Get rid of her, the Torah says right away. I'm not saying now halacha now. Every husband who has a doubt about the modesty of his wife has to go to his rabbi and sit and tell him the whole story. And whatever the rabbi said, that's fine. I'm not telling you what to do, what not to do. I'm just reading to you Gemara in Masechet Gitin. And the last thing, Tanya Rabbi Shimon Omer, Amra Torah ki Why the Torah say a man takes a woman? Why didn't say when a woman is taken to a man? The Torah say when a man takes a woman. It means directly. Not somebody brought this woman to him. What's the difference? Why the language of the Torah is a man taking a woman and not a woman is taken to a man? What's the difference? Let's see. 
It's disrespectful for a woman to run after a man hoping he's going to take her. No. A man has to go after a woman. Not a woman like today, they stay in Manhattan in a club. Oh, I like this guy. How are you? How are you? Ah, you like what I bought? <laughs> Two for ten. <laughs> they don't say that. First question, what do you do? Maybe second question. First, how are you? What's your name? Second question. Third question, what do you do? I'm a shoe shine. Oh, wait a minute. I just got a call. I have to go. I'm an attorney. Oh, really? Can I see it? No? Yeah, that's what's going on there. Don't worry, I'm not going to the club. But I know the nature of people. All right, we're done for today. Next week, I'll give you a preview, a lot of interesting, a lot of secrets about our life and the things that we have in our homes and uh, respecting parents up to where it has to go. Interesting things next week. Please come, 9 o'clock, be on time next Wednesday. Monday, yeah. ah, actually, next Wednesday, Shavuot, so I'm talking two weeks from now. Next Wednesday, no sure here, but Monday... I'm giving shiur, even though it's one day before Shavuot. I'm giving the shiur on Monday, the Hebrew and the English. So the English will be 8.45 on 73rd and 172nd. 8.45. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.